Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Dad's Path Podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today we're here with Allison Edwards, who's a child psychotherapist, speaker, creator, and owner of All the Feels Company. She's also the author of seven books. She earned her graduate degree in counseling from Vanderbilt University and is a national certified counselor, licensed professional counselor, and registered play therapist. It's a great combination there. She has over 20 years experience working as a school teacher as well, school counselor, child adolescent psychotherapist, and educational consultant to schools throughout the country. That is a long way of saying we are talking to an expert here. And she's the parent of two small kids, so she enjoys spending time with her family, and uh, she's going to help us spend time with our families. Buckle in. This is going to be fun. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, I'm just really excited because you have such a wide area of expertise in places that we focus as dads, you know, that we have challenges with our kids. So yeah, I'm just excited to dive in. And uh, I'd love to start with your All the Feels company. I love the name of that. Can you talk about what, like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I'd love to. So during COVID, I think swept the rug out from most of us and uh, kids were really struggling. And I had been referring parents to a set of feeling cards for many years. And I had done a presentation in February of 2020, where I told 1500 counselors, hey, go get these cards to help kids manage emotions and learn about feelings. And the next week, they emailed me and said, well, that company has gone out of business. And so I was pretty devastated and like, what am I going to do? And so I created my own set of feeling cards and that's sort of how it started. And what I wanted is to give kids the identification, ability to identify emotions and kids are concrete and emotions are abstract. So giving them a visual and then also giving them a strategy for each feeling and, you know, mental health is their journey and they need to know what to do with big emotions. And so that started, I created the cards you know, went through all of the manufacturing things. I had no idea what I was doing and then ended up thinking, well, I need to sell the cards and make them available. And then all the feels company began. And now there is a poster that takes kids through the steps to emotion regulation. And then my books are also available. So it's, it's, my mission is that we simplify mental health and give kids strategies as early as possible to be able to manage those big feelings. Makes a lot of sense. If you take a step back, like there's a mental health crisis in our country for everyone, for adults, right? It's not just kids and uh, not for all of us, but you know, we all struggle and have our ups and downs. So to imagine that somehow kids are immune to that and they'll magically figure out feelings. And I mean, is ignorant might be a little too strong of a word, but I really appreciate how proactive you are. I mean, that's what we need to be as parents is not assume our kids are going to just figure out what to do. I mean, emotion regulation and and just understanding feelings. I mean, that's such a key key skill we all struggle with. It is. And I think too, just prevention, like a lot of times I see kids who, you know, come into me at 15, 16 years old, they've had anxiety for years. And it's just a lot of times we just sort of hold our breath as parents hoping it gets better instead of saying like, let's put these skills in place early 
life is hard. So there are going to be challenges. So it's like, let's just do this now while kids are in elementary school. And then when they hit a bump, they know what to do rather than waiting until they hit the bump and then go, oh, like we need help immediately. So that's sort of the the model. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense to start earlier than, um, and again, proactively, <laughs> than reactively and say, oh, you know, you're missing these uh, important skills. So I have intuitively an idea what a feeling card is. Could you describe kind of what it is and maybe maybe use an example of one that you found to be particularly impactful? Sure. So there's 20 cards in the, it's just a little tin box. And what I encourage parents to do is every night before bed, the child picks three feelings about their day and then the parent picks three. And so you model just emotional health. And so most kids will struggle. Most people have one feeling they struggle with the most. And so every night the parent would pick that feeling to sort of model and normalize like, oh, like worry would be an example. So the child has anxiety and, you know, they pick worry. I was worried about a friend at school. And then the parent picks worry too and says, well, I was worried because I thought I was going to be late today. So you connect with kids daily about emotions and you start to help kids see their day through an emotional lens. A lot of times as parents, we stay on the surface and we, so a kid comes in, you know, a kid comes home from school and says, this kid's being mean to me. And so we try to stay on the surface of that problem and try to help them navigate it. But really the power is underneath the surface. So what is the feeling when you're around this kid? So we start shifting, we kind of turn it upside down and shift to identifying feelings. And what happens is emotional intelligence skyrockets. Then on the back of the card is a strategy. So parents can then say, oh, so you, you know, you're feeling worried. Let's flip the card over. And on the back is a strategy which is developmentally appropriate. And brain plate is an example of how you like your mind is like a dinner plate. And you ask yourself, what's on my plate today? And that kind of helps you be present. So all the strategies are developmentally appropriate, but the kids then learn, this is what I can do. And then you can fit the cards in your pocket, which is why I designed them. I was a school counselor for for eight years and I needed something quick. You could literally put them in your back pocket. And so the first thing is identification. The second is like, what do I do with the feeling? Once kids know how to manage that difficult feeling, they can do anything. I mean, that's kind of the goal is like anything is possible once you can manage discomfort. That's such great advice, um, obviously based in science and based on your experience, just, you know, when something's unknown and you're not sure what you're feeling, you can't identify it. That's one thing. But when you work through with someone you trust and over and over again, you can understand it. I mean, that that resonates. And, you know, the ultimate goal, it sounds like, obviously, is to raise, you know, kids with high emotional IQ, and also kids that can regulate their emotions. Regulating emotions is there's four steps to emotion regulation. And really, it doesn't matter if you're two years old or 92. If you go through those steps, you can manage anything. And if you help kids learn early how they feel. So it's like if they can start to identify feelings in their body and then identify what triggers those feelings, then as they go through life, they start to feel empowered rather than debilitated. And so the brain is wired for problems. So that's how we survive. And so the brain is always looking for problems. And so kids will, well, really anybody will start to avoid hard things because you don't want to feel discomfort. And so what you do is teach kids how to manage discomfort. They might have short-term discomfort with facing a problem, but long-term comfort with the confidence boost. So really what we want is kids just to understand how they feel and then what to do about it. And if they can do that, literally like everything opens up. And if you can't do that, then you avoid hard things and your world gets really small. And then 
self-esteem, confidence goes down. So do you find many cases where either with with kids you've worked with or, you know, families you worked with anecdotally where the kid just doesn't get it? They're not, you know, assuming they're they're old enough. I'd be curious. Does it always work? Yes. And the reason is because it's not hard. And I think, you know, when you look at psychology in general, like there isn't a blood test to take for anxiety. It's just a list of symptoms. And so it looks really messy trying to just, you know, determine what a child struggling with. But this process is so easy. Anybody can do it. I mean, I work with kids on the autism spectrum and I I would say that group of kids probably struggle the most because just their ability to, to recognize emotions. But I'll work with kids who are in high school who are in, you know, five AP classes really bright and they can't tell me how they feel. And it's like, we just don't prioritize emotional intelligence. But really, when you look at the research, like the business world would say the best indicator of a CEO is the ability to regulate emotions and get along with people. But in our schools, that is so far down the list, we look for academic performance. And so really, we're setting kids up for failure because we're not teaching them the most important thing, which is how do you handle difficult emotions and how do you manage stress? So I haven't seen it not work just because it's so simple. I've seen kids not want to take the time and I've seen parents certainly say, we don't have time for this. We need to have results now. And that's the problem, obviously, is that we're in such a hurry. We don't want to take time to understand. But if we will do that, everything gets better. So yeah, it it works. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, it's a short-term investment that you know can last your child's life. I mean, we all need that. And you talked about emotional regulation and the sort of four steps. Do you mind going through those just at a high level? Yeah, sure. So the first step is you identify the feeling. And the second step is you rate the intensity. How this looks is I'm angry and I'm at a six. So from one to 10, a six is sort of middle of the road. And when you get into the intensity. So from number one to seven is a place where you're uncomfortable, but you can still do a strategy. So for example, I'm angry at a six, I'm going to do square breathing to help calm down. But then when you get to eight to 10, that is the flood zone. And that's where within the brain, the blood leaves the top of the head, which is emotion regulation and critical thinking, and goes to the bottom of the brain, which is the amygdala, which is primal brain, and leaves you without rational thinking. So this is where all the problems come from. That's why we say things we wish we wouldn't have said. I'll say something to my kids and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that. And it's because I was flooded. This becomes very simple. So one to seven is strategies, eight to 10 is flooded. And when you're flooded, you reset the brain by changing the five senses. Change all all five senses. If you can. If you are at home, the easiest way to do this is to take a shower. You come out, you're better. You can also go outside. So all of a sudden, everything will change. And that wakes the brain up. And so the key here is to determine where you are. Are you strategies or are you flooded? And then kids are starting to say, I'm flooded. And parents, that's a cue of like, we're not talking about it. And that's helped parents a lot going like, this is the no talking zone. It usually, I like to say, reset the five senses within five minutes. And it within five minutes, you come back and you can discuss whatever it is. And then, so that's number two, rate the intensity. And then three is identify the trigger. So what causes the feeling? As humans, no matter how old we are, we will be triggered by the same themes. So Really, there's two areas. There's people and there's things. So kids who are triggered by people would be upset about a peer. They would be worried about a teacher, coach. And then the 
kids who are worried about things would be the kids who are worried about grades, climate change. Like they're just going to college, making money, that kind of thing. So then once you figure out what your triggers are, you become aware and you're able to say, oh, there I go again. And you're prepared for. So if you're worried about tests, the day before, the day of the morning of a test, you're going to do something different to help yourself prepare. And then um, the last step is choose a strategy. So then you choose, if you're one to seven, you choose a strategy. And so once you learn these four steps, it becomes so easy. Instead of why I'm feeling this way, how am I feeling? How big is it? And then kids are able to go through the strategies and the poster that I created takes kids through that. And then it's just into a rhythmic thing. I do it myself throughout my day. I'm going through, how do I feel? Why do I feel this way? You know, what's the intensity? And it, like I said, it makes everything simple. And so those are the four steps. I love that. Thank you very much. Super smart, super simple, not necessarily easy, but if you do it, as you say, you know, it's, it, it'll work. And one of the points you brought up is a mistake that I see most parents or a mistake a lot of parents make, which is when you're in the flooded zone, right? So the kid's emotion is eight to 10 or your emotions eight to 10. And you really want to tell them why they're wrong or what they did is not acceptable. And they can't hear you. You know, they're, they're not listening. They're not able to. You can yell as loud as you want. You can whisper. You could jump on a table. But until that gets down to your point, right, they're not receptive. The problems are, you know, the big emotions. And I think those are where we have regrets as parents. And then kids will often have a lot of remorse because they'll say something really hurtful. And then later on, the kids want to repair that. So they want to come and, you know, say, I'm sorry, or get really close to you or snuggle. And as parents, you know, we love to hear that. But also kids didn't learn anything about why they did that. And so the goal is not to have a meltdown and then come and say, you're sorry and have a repair. It's more of what happened. And so you, in the moment, they don't know. I have this thing called a think sheet on my website that's for a free download. And it takes kids through the, you know, what did I do when I did that? What did I want? And so later on, kids can go through the steps and figure out like what happened. But in the moment, they can't, yeah, they can't hear you anyway. And it's just good I will say to myself or out loud, I'm flooded and walk away. It's my Ooh. trigger to myself with my kids. And usually I go outside and a lot of times they will follow me. But what happens is we both reset because we see a squirrel or a bunny and it's like, it wakes us up a little bit, but that is a cue to me and for kids to say I'm flooded and I'm doing work with schools and teachers to help kids who have big emotions in the classroom to be able to identify it and go reset their brain rather than getting kicked out of class or to the office. So there's definitely, when you talk about the brain, people listen. And so that's been helpful because we believe in science. Sometimes psychology is like, oh, is that really real? But yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. And I love communicating that just the simple, I'm flooded, you know, like it, I'm flooded right now. And that's also a cue your kids can use hopefully. And, and then you can get to a place where you understand whether, hey, this is a time we can be communicating or, or I need to step back and respect that. Just like I expect you to do the same when I'm flooded. Yeah. And it becomes, instead of a you need to calm down, which oftentimes kids feel like they're always in trouble, it's modeling like I need to calm down. And I think that's really useful for kids. Is this is not just them struggling with emotion regulation. It's all of us. You know, we all struggle. And if we go through the steps, then we don't have as many regrets about things we say and we feel more in control. Absolutely. And that's... Um... That's what we want. You know, it's terrible feeling like you you've said something that you regret or you know you have to apologize for. And you know, that's life, but you want to minimize that. 
Oh yeah. You know, and, and just to walk away and I, I think feeling like, wow, I managed that well as a parent feels great. Like even this morning was a difficult morning with my son and he doesn't feel well. And I just felt myself being triggered all morning because I'm trying to get out the door and he's, you know, sort of hanging on me and feeling like, okay, like how am I feeling right now? And I really looked internal rather than just trying to say, go watch TV or, you know, any sort of like short-term discomfort, you know, instead it's like, how am I feeling and going through the steps. And then I, you know, actually went outside this morning. It was pretty chilly and he came with me and we were both okay. It's like, you know, instead of trying to react in that moment, just try to go into what's really happening, you know. When you you need to go outside or a parent needs to go outside, what's the sort of line between I'm walking away from the problem versus I'm trying to reset myself? I know you're trying to reset yourself. Like that's the goal. And is that, that's what you communicate to your child or like, cause you don't want them to feel like you're just, all right, I'm out of here <laughs> kind of thing, right? Yeah. So you're going to say I'm flooded. I'm going to go reset my brain. My kids are already at four and three saying, did you go reset your brain? <laughs> so you teach them early. I'm going to reset my brain and I get to see something different. What do I see? And it's, it's a really interesting activity to do it with really young kids too, because I'm like, I see, what do I see? And we help find each other, find things that we see. And it's interesting when you go through like what you see, what you smell, what you taste, what you touch. And then you go through that and then you go back to the problem and the problem is seemingly small. It just fizzles because the blood flow, it is a, a fight or freeze. I mean, that's when the blood goes to the bottom of the brain, we're preparing for survival. And that's when we get into those primal behaviors that are not good for anyone, really, because it's usually an argument over a snack or, a, you know, it's, it's sort so minimal, but it becomes big. And so then you go back to the original problem and usually it's not there anymore or it's very small. So that's what you model. I'm going to go see something different and it's really useful. Do you consciously or try and proactively bring your child along if you're both flooded? Yes, I will say, let's go. I'm flooded. And sometimes, you know, my kids will be like, I'm flooded too, mama. I'll, I'll come too. And we do it together. And, you know, I think as parents, we don't want to have to get onto our kids and our kids don't want to get in trouble. I mean, it's the same goal. Like, how can we get through this moment of, you know, discomfort? We go together. Hey, let's go outside. We're flooded. And if you're bringing your kid along, it, it feels a lot more peaceful. Yeah. Like you said, I'm flooded. I'm going to leave you in here rather than why don't we go reset and I think it can be a joined thing. So No, that's great. That's beautiful. That's a such a nice approach. So I want to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned there's no test for anxiety. Uh, at the same time, I think we're seeing more anxiety in our society. And we're certainly seeing a lot more of it happening in kids. It seems like at earlier ages and sort of coming out in different ways. So yeah, I'd love if we could just kind of bounce on that topic a little. First, how can you tell if there's anxiety in your kids? I mean, you'll have the feeling card. So hopefully that's <laughs> that would be the easy way if they say I'm feeling anxious. But if they can't label that. With kids, I always use worry and not anxiety. And I worry, think it's important yeah. that we don't label kids. Um, we don't label it ourselves. You know, emotions are really strong, but then they go away. And so my approach is that if you have a feeling of worry and you have it all the time and it's like an undercurrent, that is generalized anxiety. And that is what most people have. And it's a lot of it's genetic. I have had it my whole life. So I'm very aware of, of sort of this undercurrent with generalized anxiety, it's very treatable because it's all strategies. So, and it's never going to go away. So I think we have to shift our approach 
It's not like you're anxiety free one day, but what you do is you learn how to manage it and life becomes a lot easier. But when you look at any of these things, it's prolonged feelings. So it's March right now. Some kids have been worried about sleep away camp in June since September. That is not normal. That's a long time to worry about sleep away camp, right? So that is, that is a prolonged feeling about something and anxiety is fear of the future and depression is regret from the past and they're on sort of a continuum and both of them are negative thinking and so with anxiety you create a negative story about a future event and with depression you create a negative story about something that was has happened to you there are three areas to a child's life there's home school and friends and i like to ask parents and kids like how many areas is this feeling affecting? So you're anxious at home, maybe about going to school the next day. So home is really difficult. All day long at school, you're anxious about tests or social situations. And then you pull away from friends. That is anxiety. Like that's from a clinical perspective, like this is impacting you. And then we have to figure out kind of what to do with it. There is no test, but I will say that since COVID, we sort of have atrophied as far as our ability to manage discomfort. And now it's worse than ever. I think it's like building emotional muscles is what reduces anxiety and depression and any of these issues. We literally had lost all of our strength because kids didn't have to deal with social interactions. They didn't have to deal with a lot of academic issues. And so now getting back into this, kids are still struggling with how to just integrate back into life. And if you don't work the muscles, you become weak. And I think that's why we want kids to do hard things. I like to say we went from buck up parenting, which I was raised in that, and now we're bubble wrap parenting. And so (laughs) we're like wrapping our kids up saying, I don't want anything bad to happen. And that's to me why we're in a mental health crisis is because we have flipped to where now if there's a problem, parents are like, I'm going to call the school. I'm going to I'm going to intervene. And now kids don't know how to handle it. But when you look at clinically, it's it's prolonged feelings and it's also exaggerated. So it doesn't seem normal to not be able to get out of the car. So those are kind of what you're looking for. You know, feelings have a function and worry is a very common feeling that's actually useful, but it's when does it overtake you? And that's sort mm-hmm. of when we look into the intervention. As a parent, and I know I'm not the only one, I worry about causing anxiety in my kids in like particular situations and in situations that shouldn't be too high intensity. And the uh, the example that I always hear about and that I'm always involved with is getting ready in the morning, right? Like, all right, get your shoes on. Are you dressed? Get your water. Like you have four things to do. It's it's taken like four hours. Like what's going on here? (laughs) Like, you know, it's uh, and day after day and why is that important is because there's consequences, right? And the consequences, we're going to be late. So then I, you know, find myself saying, we're going to be late, we're going to be late, we're going to be late. And that can kind of go down that almost trying to create worry. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create urgency, but I feel like that can be a fine line between urgency and worry and, you know, forcing that on my, on, on my kids. Yeah. I think that's a great example. I think mornings are really tough um, because as adults, we have this we adhere to time restraints and kids don't. They're, they have no incentive to get out of the house in the morning. What I like to do in the morning is to create very concrete tasks that kids need to do. And as, as soon as they finish those, there is a reward of whatever they like to do. And what you do is you give them an, an incentive and you really don't have to say much as a parent. So saying here are your three concrete tasks to do or four 
And then when you're done getting ready, you can do whatever it is you really like to do. And what happens is instead of the anxiety in the morning, you get this like excitement about, oh, I finished my things. As parents, we have to think kind of creatively, like you step away from the problem and say, why can't we get out the door in the morning? Well, the kids don't want to leave, right? They don't want to go to school. (laughs) They're like, this is great. I'm hanging out. Like, how do we help them want to get these things done? Well, we give them an incentive. And so that is sort of the creative parenting where you can change overnight. All of a sudden the kid, you have a smooth morning and everyone's ready. And you're like, what happened? It's because we framed it differently. A lot of our incentives that we, as adults, we care about, kids don't care about. And so we give them a way to care about it. Mornings are hard. Any transition's hard. You know, we want different things than what they want. And (laughs) how do we all benefit here? How do we all win? And that's an example. But yes, kids are, I like to say kids are like horses. They pick up everything. They they can read us. And, um, you know, you have genetic wiring that's uh, 50% of, of our mental health is genetic. And a lot of times we're anxious people. And then we have kids who are anxious and we aren't aware of the things that we do, our behaviors. And then they get the 50% genetic and they're learning from us about time. Everything has to be clean or whatever it is that we helps us sort of manage anxiety, they will pick up on. So we have to keep an eye on that. It feels like a lot of pressure, but it, it does um, matter when we catch it. Absolutely. And I, and I imagine it's also a uh, great sort of teaching tool and experience saying, I'm feeling worried right now because I need to get to work and you're still on your butt. No, you know, or what I, you frame it a little nicer, but, and you're not doing it, you know? And you know, it's interesting kids, when you say that, they're kind of like, oh, like kids just don't think that we have any feelings or needs or wants. Like they understand we're angry or frustrated, but like the fact that we would have a feeling other than that is really shocking. And so kids saying, hey, I'm really worried about getting to work on time and it would help me if you would you know, get these things done. And using that to me, if you start talking about emotions, they, they become less defensive and more understanding of like, oh, it's not about you just being in a bad mood. It's about the fact that you're worried about this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Communicating all your, that again, is just such a teaching experience for, for your kids, for you, um, and hopefully gets them in that better place where you know, they still have worry. I thought that was really empowering that you said that, like you had general anxiety disorder is not going to go away. Like that's always going to be there. And that's okay because you have the tools to deal with it. And I think that's particularly empowering thinking about our kids and, you know, some of our kids who, you know, have anxiety, who have worries, things like that. Uh, I was talking to another uh, mom actually who has a child who's 18 and doing a gap year instead of college. Huge anxiety issues. Like that's was a, a huge part of um, her challenges growing up. And she's studying abroad. Basically, her line is like, I have a lot of anxiety and worry, but I'm living with like, it'll be with me. And that's okay. You know, she's comfortable with it. And I think that's, that's key. And that goes back to what you're saying at a young age, identify the emotions, understand your emotions, be able to communicate about them, and then you can, you can kind of manage them. Yeah. And there's nothing more empowering than doing something hard and doing it. And I think that the fear going in is like, you feel like you can't, but then, you know, you work the muscle and then you just do these really difficult things. And you're looking back thinking, wow, that was amazing. And it builds confidence. And a lot of kids go abroad, but she might feel more confident about her ability to. And, and we all have a struggle. You know, some kids struggle with anxiety and depression, and but they might be really good academically, whereas another kid's sort of doesn't struggle with that, but then struggles academically. Like, because we all have a struggle, it's easy 
early on and identify what it is and treat it, know what to do about it. And then it it actually serves you. I mean, anxiety actually can be very useful because you're worried about not doing something. And so you take risks because you're afraid of not doing that. And so it's actually people with anxiety are generally really successful if they can manage that. I like what you said. I mean, it's as adults, we know that when you try something hard and you succeed, that's empowering and that's part of living. That's the only way you can you can have a sort of a valuable life, in my opinion, is to be pushing yourself a little bit. Do you have recommendations on how to encourage your young kids to do that, to take risks? Because they're going to be even less comfortable with that. I use um, a strategy called I did it list a lot. And I like to just have just a piece of paper and write the dates and then write the event and then have kids sign it. And kids love to sign things. And so, for example, your kid doesn't want to go to school and they would write maybe the day, you know, March 8th. And then the event is I went to school and they sign it and you just keep going. So I have kids who have them all over their room. And so what happens is when you start to doubt yourself, you just look. And so the anxiety is fiction. And then you have the facts. So you get into the fiction story of I can't do this, but then you look on your wall and you see all the things you've done. And that is the best reminder is if you see it in your handwriting. And so what you want kids to say is like, what you want as a parent to say is like, I hope you can add this to your list. That's such a simple and great idea. I love that. And then kids are like, yes. So, you know, kids come home from school and they, I did it, go run it on your list. And then you just have this track of everything that's useful. It's kind of like journaling a lot of times for kids, like writing all your feelings down. A lot of times that's so negative. When you look back, you're like, wow, I didn't write when I was ever happy. But this is like positive that you've done. And the event, it's not how it went. It's that you completed it. So it's not like I had a great day at school. We're not going for that. We're going for I did it. That's beautiful. I know you're super busy. So I just have one last question before I'll let you go. What would what advice would you give dads who are just starting out or have young kids at home? You know, you've seen I'm sure thousands of kids at this point and talk to numerous, you know, a huge number of parents. What's the number one mistake or number one thing you'd say to us and say, hey, this is how you raise a good kid? Well, I think the statistic that 95% of all the time you will have with your child is before 18. And I would say, start with that day that you drop your kid off at college or they move out of your house or whatever the, the future holds. And think, what do you want your child to know by then? And then work backwards and be intentional about your time and how you approach your time with your kids and what model are you setting? I think in this country, we often are work really hard, provide for our family, de-stressed out. Then one one day we retire and then we're going to spend time with our kids. And the reality is our kids are too busy. And so figuring out how to work backwards and sort of, you know, begin with the end in mind, but I remind myself often of the 95% statistic and say, this is the time, this is it. And how do That's we want to spend that? Because once they leave our home, we're going to get snippets, but this is the magic time. So that's, that's what I would leave you with. Yeah, no, that's great being just so deliberate with, with what you want to, uh, what you want to teach. And, and fortunately it's like, yes, they leave at 18, but I'm sure you, you've seen it. Like they become teenagers at like 11. You know, so it's it's not like you have until 18 either. It's like at some point there. I think it's 65% before 12. Okay, yeah. See, there's this also thing about you kind of lose your teenager, but that's a lot of pressure. But I feel like it helps me like rethink about, like rethink my time with my kids now. And what do I want to model? And 
you're on your phone. It's a trap for all of us. But like, you know, just being very intentional about like, I'm home from work, my phone's put up, like I'm, I'm engaged and, and really just knowing that this time you're not going to get it back. No, that's the most powerful. This is, this is it. So that's why we're here. We're trying to make the most of it. So I appreciate you sharing your, your knowledge with us. And for us dads who would like to get your feeling cards, what, what's your website? Where do we get them? It's allthefeelscompany.com. There's videos and classes and it's currently a work in progress. It should be up in the next month, but there's still the old site, but just that site is where you get the products. And then I'll be building on that of just, I just want to provide education and resources for parents who are struggling. Well, you are Allison Edwards. Thank you so much for joining us. I learned a lot. I'm sure all the dads who are listening will as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on. <laughs>